Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Ears International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, I got hit. I, I think it was this, this last week or this, this next week, and I don't even, I, I, I did not plan on doing this, but I just feel like that was a really good overview of where we've been and where we're going. And uh, so I always want to constantly bring up the pillars because I want us to always remember the floor that we've come from. I want us to understand the underground of what was there, how we shifted to move forward. You can, you can erase that. How we shifted in moving forward, even recognize that there was more to build and not just staying in those lower areas is the way I'll say it. We shifted into that first floor and then there was four pillars that were like our strong foundation to be able to endure what was to come, right? Then, I don't even know when it was, he gave us access. We're all gonna judge how amazing this is. (laughs) Then he gave us access to a greater level and it was the second floor that had three pillars. Now, none of this is planned. As you guys all know, we don't have like staff meetings where we talk about how is this all going to play out, but it blew my mind when I started to see this a little bit differently that I want to show you guys because um, um, draw faster. (laughs) (laughs) So as we know, if, if you are the remnant, which we are, and when she talks about a remnant, there is a global remnant of people that are starting to begin and have for a while, there's just got to be something more than a Sunday morning teacher from a pastor that if I all of a sudden don't like the music that they're playing, I'm in a church hop and find the next place. There's just gotta be something more than the backbiting. There's gotta be something more than what does authentic community look like? There's gotta be something more than three worship songs and offering and a teaching and then see you next week, but there's no relationship in between. It was a, I'll see you on Sunday, Father, but I'm gonna live my own life the rest of the week, right? There just had to be more uh, a, a zealous pastor Passionate people are beginning to come up out of the woodwork and find one another that there is more to not only life, but the kingdom on earth now. That we're beginning to wake up that what we've been taught is just fill a pew, do your best, and one day he'll come back and we out of here. Who cares about anything else? Me, myself, and I, and that's just where we've been. It has created selfishness. It has created escapism. It has created addiction. It has created uh, 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 hospital beds, loneliness. I mean, the list goes on. And that is not what the gospel that's, that has nothing to do with the gospel. And so, uh, so as we have begun to uh, find that we just want something that's authentic, we didn't know what authentic was. We just wanted something that was authentic because we realized that there was something more, right? So he begins a process in us. So this is that lower area. Thank you. And then, okay. All right. So we, we were down here and we realized, oh, salvation is just the beginning. We were kind of taught, like, if you've got salvation and you come to my church, you have arrived. Done deal. That's all you got to do. Just get saved and then wait till he comes back. And then get a couple of good sermons and make sure your character stays on point. Does anybody... 
could you imagine if you had to go back? I just, I, I don't even, uh, anyways, just boring, right? So we're down there, we realize that there's more, and we shift into understanding that there's more than salvation. Does that mean that salvation isn't important? It's through his salvation that you even have this. That's not to demean that, but that there's more. He didn't say live your whole life to get up to the cross. He said the cross already happened and now we're going to work from the cross. And there's some things that I've asked you to do on this earth. So we begin to shift and we start understanding that the foundation of this shift is that we are becoming Hebraic thinkers. Because without a Hebraic mind we would not be able to understand the fullness of the scriptures because we were inundated with wrong, right, good, evil, uh, Greek thinking, linear, definitely Western culture, just very far removed from his culture. So we began to understand that this floor needed to be Hebraic in our thoughts. The pillars that we're gonna hold all of this up in us because once you wake up that there's more than salvation, all of a sudden you start getting into some deep things like reconciling what she said. The first pillar, I don't know if it was necessarily first, but it was blood versus blood. Do I believe that his blood means it's finished? That up until Yeshua, it was always based on your bloodline if you had access to certain things. That's why there's names and genealogy, and after Yeshua's name, there's no more genealogy. You don't hear about Paul's genealogy. You hear about a couple of family members for Timothy, but you don't have this, and because of their blood, because it, it was because of Yeshua's bloodline, period. So in me, when I was down here, it was like, yeah, I have access to heaven through him. It was an, it was an, an easy it was just kind of easy. You get into blood versus blood. That's a strong pillar. That's a strong foundational. Do I believe when it says you are my brothers and sisters? Do I really believe what authentic community is? Do you know what that means? It means I'm making a covenant with you that when I get offended, I can't be like, Pfft. right? It actually means iron sharpens iron. It means that I get refined in the fire. It means that he, he produces something in me, right? So there's all this stuff that comes with blood versus blood. I don't suggest being part of the remnant <laughs> because, I mean, I do. You hear what I'm saying? It's a narrow road. It's not, it's not an easy road. This was easy because it was all about me. It was, it, Yeshua saved me. But here he says, okay, I saved you. Can you get up and start reconciling your bloodline? Because there's some healing to be done. There's some disease that needs to be cured. There's some, there's some things that needs to be healed, not only in you, but in others. And you're my hands and feet, and you're sitting over here saying, can you do it again? He's like, I've already done it. Can you go do it? <laughs> right? So that's what happens here. Then we, in order to understand that, we had to understand yada, which means to intimately know him not just know of him, not to know of the Bible, but to know him intimately, right? Then we have the ministry of reconciliation. We've all heard, I'm sure of that one time or another, but do we really understand that you are the one to break down the walls of hostility? That you are the one to say that when there's a, when there's a wall of separation, that, you're, you, that you are to be the one that says, I'm gonna touch that wall? and I'll wait for you here in him. 
So ministry of reconciliation is not for the weak at heart. It's not for those that are like, but I still need to get saved. Those are for the warriors that are like, not only am I saved, healed, and delivered, but I am after unity, genuine unity, not a worship service where we put out a flyer and we all sing Kumbaya together. I'm talking about covenant unity where you actually get refined through covenant, okay? So there's ministry of reconciliation. And then the last one was not necessarily last, last one, but walking in him. And all this meant was, was you're probably gonna have to walk a little different than you used to walk, right? You were traveling in a boat, but he walked on water. So we're gonna have to walk different, amen? Those are some strong pillars. Those should have been foundational down here, but we didn't necessarily understand those strong things for us to have access. Remember all these steps? It was things like obedience, sacrifice, cutting, first time obedience. I mean, I don't, what, are, what were some of the other ones? First time obedience. I mean, it was like, <sighs> okay. So then we get access to the second floor, right? And now the second floor, what was the uh, foundation of this floor? Look at you. I didn't even remember that. We know that if we do not walk on that floor of honor, we will not understand these pillars. Because after you've reconciled and walked through this, there's an aspect of being able to hold honor for the things that he honored, which what ended up happening, we thought we were cut here, is then we were like, oh, but if I honor that, that means I can't honor this. And so there was still, there's still some breakdown in us. So when uh, Megan asked the question, is there anything in you? What was the question? Is there anything in you that has not been uprooted? If any of you said, no, I will answer for you. <laughs> there's some things in the soil that we're gonna take care of tonight. <laughs> because not that that was meant, but it's like the more that I say, I want all of what you honor, he's like, then you're gonna have to stop honoring what dishonors me. Duh, but I thought I knew what dishonored him when I was operating a ministry of reconciliation. And so then it's like, no, there's more. So as we build, we're also tearing down. So it's not like I've arrived and now we're building. It's like now we're building and like, woo, that was a fine, that was a, we had to put that wall up real, Straight and narrow. Okay, so the three pillars are feasts, heritage. Oh, Linda. How'd I do? Heritage. And then feast, heritage, language. Okay, so these three pillars are founded on the floor of honor. We are to honor his language. We are to honor his heritage. We are to honor his feasts. And so I believe that we are going to be in heritage for the rest of this year. Uh, we started with heritage and we will, we will update you on that. What's hap this is what's happening this year. We are diving into heritage, okay? While we are in heritage, what I mean by that is feast and heritage are two different things, but not. Just like language is different than heritage, 
but not. Because in heritage, if you think about it, is the center of everything that you get to inherit, which is all of him. But, but just to make sure that it's clear, when we're teaching, we are going to dive into heritage. Here's what we're gonna do. In order to understand his heritage, we have to uproot the heritage we've been given, okay? So that's gonna be fun, okay? While we're doing that, at every feast, we're gonna pause and begin to minister and release on that feast. So because we're in the process of building, we didn't think it would make sense, let's just say last November, to teach on feasts and hope you get all the feasts for the next year and you know how to honor them and eat like them and build community with them and, right? I mean, I've got years and years and years of uh, Easter tradition that we have to then learn how to honor the three feasts. Well, we didn't want to teach last October, November, and then say, here, have at it for a year. So what we're going to do is this whole year, just like we did with Pesach, we are going to stop and we're going to release on that feast while we are also going to be operating in heritage. And we will not move on to language until heritage is done. Does that make sense? So this is what I wanted to show you that I got hit with. So I'm just going to kind of release this by the Spirit. <laughs> what I saw and, and um, how many of you have studied the tabernacle? Do you guys know that there is a tabernacle? Okay. In the tabernacle, do you know that there's the outer court the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. Okay, I want you to see something. Outer court, inner court, Holy of Holies. And what's happening is that we are going to learn that there was a tabernacle, and what does he say now? Where is that tabernacle now? So we're not just building something that we can see. We're building us. We're building a firm foundation. We are ultimately building line upon line, precept upon precept, all of the instructions that you probably just went over in the Old Testament and you were like, I don't need to know that it was 13 by nine cubits and uh, I just, they built it. Guess what? That's you saying that about yourself. I don't care about all those details, I'm built. We need to know what he's building. And when I saw this, I thought, wow, who did that? Because I didn't, I mean, and I'm just, I'm not going to get into this, but if you start studying the tabernacle, there are even four areas in the outer court. It has a lot to do with sacrifice and the altar. When you go into the inner court, there are three main areas, and it has to do with presence and his bread and his image. This is what we honor. Now think about it flesh yeah soul spirit so I just I wanted us to know where we've been and where we're going and to be excited because what is coming is a firm strong foundation of what he says I have built in you amen so I did not plan on doing that but I wanted to release that amen okay um, let's turn this back around. Thanks, Amber, for, and I don't know what that pillar is, but I'm excited to figure it out. Probably the ark. Okay. All right. So for tonight, 
I felt like because we kind of just had to do Pesach, unleavened bread and first fruits all in one night and it was a lot. And, uh, and then we celebrated as a family and it was super powerful. Uh, I wanted to just tie up loose ends. I just kind of wanted to close that feast. We are gonna move into heritage, heritage tonight, but I just didn't feel that it would be uh, right to just move on without talking a little bit about Shavuot. And the reason why is because like uh, Megan said, we, we worship, we teach, we uh, encounter, and then we have family discussion. And so if you think about it, the next time teaching comes around, if you've done the math, it is Shavuot. So I didn't want us all of a sudden on the day of Shavuot be like, what have we been doing for the last 50 days? So I wanted to make sure that we just spoke a little bit about it. Teaching will come next month on Shavuot, but I do want to announce a couple of things, okay? First thing, save the date. I don't have my phone. May 22nd. Is that a Saturday? May 22nd, save the date, late afternoon, evening. I mean, late afternoon into the late hours. We are going to, uh, I have a couple of visions for it. Um, we're gonna celebrate as a family. So that is gonna be our, uh, our Shavuot time. Uh, how many of you know that Shavuot is the time to celebrate his provision? It is a powerful time as a family that we get to celebrate that he has provided. So we, I don't know what it is that we're gonna do, but I am, there's a couple things that have come into my heart is to do uh, a, well, we don't necessarily get into that, but I had the, well, I can. I had this idea, I had this idea of my, we've kind of done it before, but my, I have this huge round table and putting like tin foil on the whole round table and doing a huge like bread and cheese and meat, like charcuterie board and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. And then probably have a main meal. But I also feel like we're gonna probably do like old school kingdom airs, lights off, layout, and we are going to get wasted. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about in Acts when they were all accused at 9 a.m. being wasted because they were hit with the greatest gift that was ever given as a covenant symbol for their expression of who he is. What Shavuot is, is the wedding ring to, to an amazing covenant. So what happens here? And we've, we've been through all of this. Ultimately what's happening is, is he is the first fruit of all that's gonna come. And what ends up coming, coming is you wearing Ruach. It, it, Shavuot in the old, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament is where they met at Mount Sinai and received the Torah. Okay, here's just a couple things I'm gonna throw out at you guys. It was received on two tablets. Animals came in two by two. Are you guys seeing a pattern? Okay, on Shavuot, before the celebration, they take two loaves of bread and they wave it as a wave offering. That is symbolic of the two houses. Now remember what we did with Pasach and unleavened bread and first fruits when we ate of that matzah and we said the two houses will be in me. 
What first fruits is, is ultimately you're plowing that first fruit and you're sanctifying it and saying that it is going to sanctify the rest of the harvest. Now you have to understand, Israelites were absolutely dependent on wheat or they didn't eat, okay? So when, by the time Shavuot came, it says in the scriptures, you count 50 days from first fruits and that will be the end of that harvest that will last you all year long that you will dine from. It's celebrating his provision. Now think about it with Ruach. For us, we don't do agriculture, but that first fruits is you are, you are bringing forth the, he is the first fruit, knowing that he is gonna sanctify the harvest that what is to come is what I am so dependent on that I need that provision through. Is that, is that making sense? It's not wheat, it's Ruach. It, the Shavuot, he sent Holy Spirit. He says, it is better that I go that the Holy Spirit come. And when Holy Spirit chose to come, it was already on a holiday that they were already rehearsing and honoring. And they were honoring it because they were honoring their first fruits and the harvest coming to its fullness. And they were waving the bread offering because they had enough. Now he's our first fruit and we're walking through the process and watching that first fruit grow in us. And then we're going to be bringing it, that, that bread that we can make from that wheat and waving it before him as an offering. And what happens is, is that everything that I was dependent on comes onto me. I'm thanking him for the provision because I'm so dependent on Ruach. He says that you will not be able to survive. This is the Tanakh Old Testament on bread alone. This is me not being able to survive on bread alone. So Shavuot is a time to celebrate his provision and that he is so good and that there is enough. And ultimately, when, uh, when, they, when they celebrated Shavuot, it was at Mount Sinai. Do you guys understand? They leave the unleavened bread, the Red Sea, then all of a sudden, they're at Mount Sinai. What happens at Mount Sinai? They finally receive provision and instruction of how to do this. All the, up to this was sacrifice, getting rid of sin. I've got a first fruits, right? I've, I've, got, a, I've got a first, but it, <laughs> that's all you have is a first. You guys understand I'm not trying to undermine Yeshua, but if he's just Yeshua and he just stays as a first fruit, it's in vain. The purpose of a first fruit is that there's more. There's a, there's a purpose for a first fruit. So, so you give the first fruit for what? To keep going for more. And so what ultimately happens is Mount Sinai, they finally get instructions of how to do this. They get loving instructions from a father and says, this is my covenant sign for you to be a set apart people from anyone else in this world. This is how you're gonna do it. This is how you're gonna be holy. This is how you're gonna stay my people. This is my covenant with you. So then fast forward to Shavuot, and what does Yeshua say? Stay. I mean, you can look at the scriptures all through all of the gospels. You can even count it out. He died and rose, and then he walked the earth for 40 days. He actually ascended at day 40, and he told them to wait. You can read it in Acts 1 and Acts 2. They waited. The gospel is so amazing. It's real. 
So when Deuteronomy says count 50 days after first fruits, and then Yeshua's like count 50 days and watch what happens. It's like, whoa, right? And we say Pentecost, I'm Pentecostal. And we don't even realize, we act like that was the beginning of all things. Yeshua was just honoring what they already knew to do. He said, watch what I'll do on Shavuot because I'm showing you that everything you're dependent on is going to be given to you. So the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. That was a covenant to show them that they were a set-apart people. I belong to Yahweh. Shavuot comes along, well, again, one year, and Ruach lands, and now is your, Ruach is your wedding band of saying, this is the expression that I am a set-apart one for him, that Yahweh is my Yahweh. Amen? That's something to celebrate. So what I want to get at with Shavuot is that we are about right here. We, tonight, actually now, we are in day 13 of day 50. Now when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the days are in there. Acts 1 and 2 talks about the 50 days. We're in day 13. That's a real thing for us to understand. That right now Yeshua was walking around disfigured, showing himself off to a bunch of people. He was creating havoc. Because people were like, I mean, there was a group of people that believed. There were a people, group of people that didn't. They didn't understand what was going on. And he's just walking around after dying and rising. I mean, he's cooking with the disciples and walking through walls and touching, making Thomas touch his rib. Right? And then he says, wait, just stay in Jerusalem. Just stay there. Just stay in peace until. He knew what was coming. That's why he kept saying, it's better that I go. They were even annoyed. What are you doing? I thought you were the king of the Jews. You were going to deliver us from Romans. After he died and rose again, it's not like all of a sudden the Romans went away. We're going to get into that. So anyways, when this happens, they were waiting in that upper room because that's where he told them to wait. Ruach comes down. And 3,000 are just in this place of it's happening, right? So when we talk about the counting of the Omer, all that means is that you're counting. It's, it's an agricultural term. And all we're doing is we're counting the days to Shavuot because we are excited that he gave us. Well, first of all, he sanctified us. He delivered us. He redeemed us. Miracles have happened, right? Up until this point, I mean, the Sea of Reeds has happened, the Red Sea. I mean, walking on dry land. I mean, can you imagine? He has, manna is falling on the ground. And then all of a sudden they get to Mount Sinai and they get his voice. They get his instructions written. And you guys know that what Jeremiah says and that what the, what the scriptures, it says that I am going to make a renewed covenant with my people that says I'm going to put all that happened at Mount Sinai in their hearts. Everything that happened for them at Mount Sinai. Read it again. Moshe ascends up the mountain. He does not come down different. You want to glow? Mount Sinai is coming. He had 70 that ascended with him. There's 70 people right here. Let's go. Everything that happened on Mount Sinai is yours in your heart. Tongues of fire, Ruach, inside. Tabernacle, now, in you. Bam. Wedding ceremony, uh, wedding covenant or a sign of covenant has now become 
It has been fulfilled. And we get to celebrate that. Also, something to think about, this is the last fulfilled feast before we really rehearse. Because there will be a day that on Yom Teruah, on trumpets, we will be rehearsing as a family, and that trumpet will blow. Okay? And it isn't going to be like you thought. You're not just... He is going to be ruling and reigning with us on his beloved earth that he has created as the center of his eye. Okay, so this is the last fulfilled feast. This has not been fulfilled yet. See? Blank. This is where you come in. So be excited because this is where sons and daughters find out who they are because you are empowered on high. All of this is about Yeshua. We can obviously walk out that process, right? But all of this, Yeshua did all this so that you could have all this, so that you can pull this in, so that the, the wave, so that the two houses can rule and reign and that one new man would step forward, okay? So I just want to release a little bit on Shavuot because I want us to understand if I'm getting on Voxer or if you see it on Facebook or we're talking about the counting of the Omar and we say day 13 and revelations are coming out, what's happening is, is we took four cups. Do you guys remember the four cups? First one, sanctification. Second cup, deliverance. Third cup, redemption. Fourth cup. Praise. So we have been able to have, isn't that beautiful what Megan said? We've been given the redemption communion cup. There is four cups is my fullness. And we're, and anybody who's resist, why would you take away communion? It's not taking away, it's adding to. It's saying you get four cups, you've been limited, you've been lied to, you've been told there's only one, there's four. So you have access to, to, these, uh, to these four cups. I don't know where I was going with the four cups. Yep, there's fullness and there's more. There's something about the cups with Shavuot. I don't know. I wanted to point out something too before you got into Shavuot. So just to to just take a step back and see how powerful it is, what we're walking through. Um, Yahweh searches the earth, right, for a remnant. He searches the earth for people who hunger to tabernacle with him, right? Out of our naivety, probably, we're like, we want that, right? We hunger to tabernacle with him truly in a genuine state. So he goes back and he speaks on our behalf. He sets a process in motion that we're all walking out and then we deal with the, the things that we need to be stripped of, right? We're walking through this process right now. And then Yahweh's oh. a first fruit for those who are asleep, right? First Corinthians 15, 20. Now, right here, she said, we're in the 13th day of the mm -hmm. counting of the Omer, okay? When, when Yeshua died, for the sake of those who were asleep, it's because he's sanctifying a harvest. Right here, we're walking through our heritage. Yeah. 
We're walking through our heritage right here. And, and this week on the 13th day is about justice. And I want you to know that as he's, some, he's, he's walking us through this process with heritage in mind. Okay, so as we're going from first fruits to Shavuot, Yeshua is sanctifying something in us because he's, he's bringing back our heritage and he's intersecting justice with heritage tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the counting of the Omer, like she said, she's going to get into it. But I believe as we walk the path of our heritage and we seek that out towards Shavuot, there's going to be different aspects of the counting of the Omer that intersect with our heritage. Yes. So be mindful of that. But isn't it powerful that this isn't a coincidence? We said we want to truly tabernacle. We want to dwell. Right? That's the heart of this house is dwelling. Mm -hmm. God said, okay, I'm going to speak on your behalf. And he is initiating this process. (laughs) Right? This is not by coincidence. They all line up. I want the nations judged. First you are right? He leaves, he's come back. And Ruach is the center of all of it. You are the center of all of it. And that's, that is what I was going to say. We've had the four cups, the sanctification. So the 50 days is walking out that the cups that have come into your DNA and are intermingling into your blood cells are changing your DNA. And as you walk out the 50 days, you get to walk out, uh, not necessarily a new DNA, but an aspect of that, like you didn't just take the cup of sanctification, what did we say? I am, I, am, I am giving you permission to use the rest of this year to, to, to uh, sanctify me, make me set apart, make me holy. Now you have 50 days, look at it like this. It's almost like 50 days of fasting or 50 days of intentionality. What does sanctification mean for me? What does deliverance for me mean? So when we talk about the counting of the Omer, it is extremely, uh, we are being diligent in getting excited about celebrating that He is our provision. Does that make sense? So what we're doing is we're basically connecting this and walking into, now remember, this is next month. We've got May uh, 16th through the 18th of Shavuot, and then we're going to be celebrating as a family on the 22nd. So look at it as like from now or last week when you started up until that time, it's almost like a devotional. It could be a new, a, a new devotional that comes, a new uh, time with him, a new, uh, maybe it's a fast, maybe it's something that you're walking out sanctification, you're walking out deliverance, you're walking out praise, you're walking out redemption because you are excited about what's to come, okay? So does that feel, did we tie up the feast for this at least? We're ready for Shavuot when it comes, and we'll celebrate, and then we'll have pretty much the summer, and then uh, Trumpets basically starts in about August, September. And we already have an idea for Sukkot Tabernacle, so we're excited about that. And, and the reason why we say we have an idea is because this is the first year he's afforded us to build. We didn't even know about, I did, last year I didn't even know about this stuff. I mean, of course I knew about Passover. 
I did, but I didn't know. I mean, if we, I, of course I knew about Shavuot. I knew about some of the stuff, but I didn't know that he was going to give us access to rehearse and be a part of his bloodline and, and bring that back into my, my heritage, you know? And so for, for some of us that have been through this process, we've just been like, just cut down and, which I say that pitiful, but I wouldn't return it for, when, when there's a group of people that are like, I'm just hungry. I don't know what it's for, but I just want something authentic. And the only thing we have, we have no children's church. We have no leaders. We have no worship. We have no music. I don't know who you, I don't know what is going on, but we're going to get on our face. And all of a sudden we get on our face and we don't have lights. We don't have, it was World War III about the chairs. We don't have chairs. We don't know what we got a building. We got debt and we got people who love the Lord. We're getting on our face. I'll tell you right now, you'll weed out all the, the entertainer, the, 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 what do you call them? Performance, entertainment, consumerism. If you were here for any kind of earthly, like, make me feel good, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what he, I mean, he will make you feel good, but it was a, it was a come back to me moment. It was a fearful, I mean, people were trembling at the cross. I mean, you guys, I mean, I, we were banging our hands on the ground. We had our faces on the floor, but all we had was each other and we just want more. And it was like, well, then I'm going to get rid of your chairs and I'm going to get rid of your bunny and I'm going to get rid of your Santa and I'm going to get rid of your uh, language and I'm going to get rid of your bitterness and I'm going to get rid of your perversion and I'm going to get rid of pornography and I'm going to get rid of uh, orphanage, the, the orphanage that you've been putting on and just letting everyone come in. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Uh, Right? I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just, I'm going to, I'm going to expose adultery and I'm going to expose hatred and I'm going to, and it was just like, <gasps> here's the thing. It was already all there. All we said was, I'm, I, we just want you. So now he's saying, not that because you've dealt with that, come on. It's not because that's all done away with. Because we are a family that's willing to walk in that mess, not because we want you to stay there, but because we're not afraid of it to get out of that mess, right? But because you were a, a, a family willing to say yes to the authenticity, he's now saying, I'm giving you what I intended. Amen? Okay. All right, you guys ready for heritage? Yeah, I just want to say too that it's it's before we start getting into this, just as a kind of like as a father's blessing, like it's it's important to hear how how much of an honor it is to be part of a family that has a culture that doesn't conform. Mm -hmm. Like not just for the sake of not conforming. But when you understand something or you believe something to be true or you develop a conviction based on revelation or understanding that Yahweh has given you and you won't conform to anything else, right? When the world is in your face, everything's overwhelming. There's so many people that would tell you you're wrong. 
They would, they would downplay you, discourage you for it. It's, it's a blessing to run with a family who will stand on their convictions and say, I'm not going to be conformed because I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Right? So I just, I, I feel like we need to hear that. Like, be proud, be, feel honored, be blessed that we're part, we're sitting here with people shoulder to shoulder, and there's a culture of nonconformity. It drives me nuts to see just, you can look anywhere, take a dart, throw it anywhere, and it'll land on some, some conformist, you know what I'm saying? It's everywhere. So as we get into this, it's so plain, it's right in front of us what Yahweh's doing, and to be able to stand on that conviction and just to know how much of a blessing it is, right? Sometimes you got to get with your kids around, you got to get with your family around the table and just say, our family is amazing and these are the reasons why, okay? As we move forward, right? One of those things that, those, those cultivated things that we're gonna have to deal with if there's any residue of it is conforming or cowering in the face of, you know what your conviction is, but when all the, the, the conformity of the world comes against you, there's a tendency to just say, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything this time. I'm, not, I'm just going to submit this time, right? There might be some residue of that because we're going to get pressed in that, even though we've been pressed in it before. And I know we're down to fight that fight. I'm just saying, just... Be blessed that we have a culture that doesn't conform. Amen. <laughs> Here's my, my physical process when somebody was like trying to like, I'm like, <laughs> and then now I'm like, <laughs> that, that's how I feel. All right. Um, I do want to give you guys some scriptures because I didn't go over them, but I want you guys to write them down when it comes time to Shavuot. Just so you guys have these, because I know I've told you guys this, that Jeremiah says that I'm going to renew a covenant where it becomes in your heart. But I want you guys to eat over the next 50 days on these scriptures, because these scriptures are so powerful. He promises you that he will take your heart of stone and make you a new flesh. So if there's any parts in us, and, I, and the reason why I'm bringing this up right now is because what we're going to get into, we cannot say as a people, oh yeah, that wasn't us. So that's why this is going to be hard. So when I talk about a new heart, uh, give me a new heart is because I'm now realizing that my heritage uh, was a stony heart. And so he's, he's, but he's, but he is giving me a new heart. So the more that we dive into this, the more excited we get to be that he says, I am putting it on your heart. This is what this means when we get into this. So I'm going to give you these scriptures, Jeremiah 31, 33. There's kind of a lot. Hebrews 10, 16. And 8, chapter 8, verse 10. Pretty much the exact same scripture. The next two are both in Ezekiel. Chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 36, 26 through 27. Mm -hmm. Second Corinthians three, three, and also three, verse 17. Do you guys want more? I have more. Yeah. 
John 16, 7. Luke 11, verse 13. First Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Isaiah 44, 3. Galatians 5, 22. A couple more. Joel 2, 28 through 29. Mark 1, verse 8. And if you want to dive into the Tanakh, where Shavuot is, you're going to be at Deuteronomy 16, 16. Also chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. And also chapter 8, verse 3. And then where that... uh, feast is fulfilled, you guys know, is Acts 1 and 2. Also, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the end, it's pretty much after his resurrection, right? He's the first fruits. So anything after his resurrection, remember resurrection doesn't mean he went up there. Resurrection meant he came back on earth. He ascended at day 40, and it was on day 50 that Holy Spirit fell. So if you want to dive into the reality of that, I suggest I do it every year because this is when I woke up as the remnant. I was bound in religion. I was the biggest advocate for religion. I was the cheerleader for religion. (laughs) I was on the front row seat amening religion. I I had a stony heart thinking that I had uh, uh, a heart of gold. And yet it was in those scriptures at the end of all the gospels and in Acts that he absolutely woke me up out of my sleep and showed me the reality of who he was and I have never been the same since. So for me, this feast is very powerful because it is my birthday of when I woke up. The first time I woke up like 80 more times. (laughs) Amen? Okay, heritage. If you guys, oh, you're gonna rewrite those. Anybody have any questions about the scriptures? Go ahead. For Deuteronomy? Yeah. Well, there's Acts in Deuteronomy because in Deuteronomy is Mount Sinai. Basically, wherever uh, Mount Sinai is. And then uh, Acts is uh, the fulfillment of Mount Sinai. to see the board. Um, all right. I'm not quite sure how this is all going to come out. So we're just going to go. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give an overview of where we were at the last time we did Heritage, and then I'm going to tell you my goal for tonight, and then we'll start from there. Does that make sense? If you guys remember, it was probably... Was it last month? It may not have been last month because it wasn't last month. Last month we taught on the three feasts. So it was the month prior to that and we dove into heritage. And if you remember, dad released a lot about replacement theology. Okay, that was the beginning of heritage. Let me explain again what dad was doing. 
Because I know for me, I was like, and I was teaching with him. Sometimes like dad, he studies and then he like, he just gets so deep and I'm like, I, like I need, a, I need like a grid. Just point me where you're at in the grid and then I'll be up because I, it was good. So I'm gonna just, this is what happened, okay? So uh, am I able to, no, I don't wanna erase that. All right, this right here is a timeline, okay? No, it's okay. So this, this line is a timeline. I'm trying to think of how you guys read. Okay, does it make sense if I say right here is crucifixion? Okay, so right here is crucifixion. What's going on? No. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> okay, right here is crucifixion. Right here is day 13. <laughs> right now, today. Does that make sense? All right, here's what dad did. Dad... Okay, let me figure out how to do this. Okay, we're right here. Dad took us like a couple of hundred years to where we are and presented the Apostles' Creed. It's the one that pretty much all Protestant churches, uh, it says, I believe in the Messiah. He died and he rose, right? And he was talking about the Apostles' Creed and he happened to be talking about out of the Apostles' Creed, what he was revealing is that it talked about his death and resurrection, but it left out his life. So the point in that is that we just took away all of his Jewishness. And we said, we're just going to focus on his death and resurrection. And that's what he was bringing forth. And the reason why he brought that forth is because that there's this foundational thing that has been flowing through our churches called replacement theology that basically says his life did not mean anything because he was Jewish. So therefore he fulfilled his own life. So now you are the enlightened ones and you have replaced him or Jews and the church is now the, the chosen thing. The light of the world, the chosen people. Uh, so replacement theology basically says, these people messed up and you are super awesome. We're the root, we're not the branch, we are it. And, oh, but now I'm saying that because Yeshua is it, right? So you have to understand how that just doesn't reconcile because we're basically saying he did away with himself. So we've been taught that because of Yeshua, he did away with the whole Old Testament. Okay? That's replacement theology. So all he was doing for the beginning of heritage was we are right here. And he was just taking a few steps at how some of our most modern, especially American churches, uh, stand on the creed that basically displaces who he is, where he came from, and says, your culture is now the right culture. Is that, you guys remember that? Does that make sense? Okay. That was... And a great, a great introduction, but in order to understand how that happened, we have to go all the way back to crucifixion and start there and untwist what has happened. 
My point is, is how did we get to the Apostles' Creed that told all of us to walk this way? So it's great if somebody tells you, hey, there's this creed. Uh, any Christian uh, has this foundational thing. We believe in these three things, right? And, and, and that is where we come from. And, um, and somebody can tell you that's where we come from, and that's great. But what I want to do, what we want to do is we want to go all the way back to find out how did we even get this creed that told us that in the first place. That creed's not in the Bible. I've never heard... Who came up with the creed? What's in the creed? And have I been following a creed I don't even know about? There are some things that we will get involved in and we don't even know why we're involved in them. We just do it because of tradition. And so what we want to do is go all the way back to crucifixion to start walking out the process of untwisting some things and where things came in to get us to the point that we would be so firm on a foundation that has nothing to do with Yeshua. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah, and we're not, we're not dismantling or tearing down the elements of the Apostles' Creed Right, just because it wasn't in Scripture doesn't mean it's negative. It's just not the fullness because there's critical pieces of our heritage that aren't in there. It's the one cup versus four. We've been given the one cup, and we say Amen, and we go along with it, not realizing we've been given the four cups. Cap. And one other detail about that: the Apostles' Creed. If you look at any Protestant church's statement of faith. You're basically, what you see is basically, you know, could have some minor changes, but it's basically copy and paste Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith as a Protestant church. Any Western church pretty much is a Protestant church other than Catholicism. So any denominational, non-denominational church is a Protestant church that relies on that statement of faith. So there's a couple things that I want to just kind of give to us. I want us to understand that if you just Google this, there are, um, I hope I have, I, well, anyways, you can Google this, but there are 4,300 religions, okay? 4,300 religions. W- one of those 4,300 would be Christianity, Okay, now under uh, Christianity, there are 30,000 different types of Christians worldwide and at least 1,200 in America. Okay, so, and, it, and, and, the, and the New Testament talks about one new man. We have 4,300 religions, one of them being Christianity, then gets broken down 30,000 times into different things. Here's what is so powerful that I want this family to understand. Being Hebrew is not any of them. Being Hebrew is not a religion. So there's something about the common ground of understanding our heritage of being Hebraic, which was that foundation. It's saying, you can say, well, I'm non-denominational, which sounds like that, like you're trying to get away from a denomination, but then non-denominational is still a part of Christianity, which Christianity is part of Protestantism, and then it just keeps going down the road. But Non-denominational is like a denominate. It's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
vanilla is still a flavor. <laughs> so, so I just want us to have that in the back of our hearts that I want to be part of a family that doesn't identify with a religion. I want to be part of a family that just identifies with our heritage, which is Yeshua, and that he was Hebrew. That our forefather, because now we're just doing this from crucifixion forward to get some understanding. Once we have some understanding and some untwisting, I believe he's going to give us permission that all of a sudden crucifixion is going to move right here and we're going to start going before crucifixion. Like to Avraham. Our forefathers, because... That is going to give us so much information about who we are and where we've come from, from the beginning. But before we get there, we're going to start from crucifixion forward. Okay. So how amazing is that? That you can be, uh, there's Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. That's all the 4,300. Then you've got Christianity. You've got uh, Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran, Pentecost, right? I mean, there's 30,000 different ones. And for us to be, because people have said, well, what are we? And for the longest time, I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. I, yes, I can tell you what I'm not. And he's starting to say, now you get to say what you are. And what we are is we are Hebrews. We are recognizing that, and we're going to get into this, but I just need us to understand that we are Hebrews. And I'm saying that because Hebrew, the actual word Hebrew just means crossed over. We are the people who have crossed over. We are the people that have said that there's more. We are the people that were, uh, that were lined up at the Red Sea and there's no way forward and my enemy's back and yeah, I just have on. to trust Moshe. And Amen. all of a sudden it's like, they're coming for me and, and, it's, and then the miracle happens and now you are descending and ascending on dry ground. That is, that's the people we are. When, when uh, well, that's, anyways. That makes sense. We are Hebrews. We are the ones that cross over. We are the ones that that uh, you guys understand. We are the ones that cross over. That's all that that means. That is the common ground. Even when we do uh, go back to um, the beginning, you're going to begin to see the breakdown with the twelve tribes, and we're going to begin to see what is Jew and Gentile. A lot of people get this confused and think all oh, the twelve tribes—they're just all Jews. No, only one of them was. And a lot of people think, well, none of them were Gentiles. Yes, they were. Joseph. He, he married an Egyptian woman. He had two sons. They were, they were Gentiles. We need to understand our heritage because it's so easy to be taught. And we just think everything Old Testament is all just Jews or just Jewish or, or just, it's just, I don't understand. And it's like, there's so much in there for us and where we've come from. Do you know what tribe you come from? And I'm not talking about like, I'm in this tribe. I'm talking about like the tribe of Issachar, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin. Do you know your tribe and the characteristics of that tribe? If you can go on to What's that thing where they take the blood? Ancestry.com and find out that you came from Spain. You can do the same thing and find out what tribe you came from. Okay, so, so there is so much for us that I believe that we have been robbed from that we're going to figure out. Okay? So, um, oh, I don't know how to do this. Um, huh? You don't think so? Okay. Um, 
All right, I'm just gonna kinda, I'm just gonna kinda do this. Okay. Uh, from the time of crucifixion, okay? Um, basically what you had was Judaism and then you had people wake up out of Judaism because they believed in the Messiah. So we could go over the history of Buddhism if we want, but we're going over the, our history, okay? So up until Yeshua, there was Judaism. He was a Jew, okay? Then, because he dies and, 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 and rises, there begins a small group of people that begin to see him as the Messiah. So they were called Jewish believers, okay? So the first people that's, that were like cl claiming, you are the Messiah, you are the son of Yahweh, right? They are realizing that all of the prophecies in Isaiah and all the scriptures, that he was the fulfillment of their own scriptures. When those people began to see it, they were called Jewish believers. Makes sense. Our roots is Judaism. The only thing that changes us from being Jewish is the Messiah. So you would be essentially a Jewish believer because you believe in the Messiah, but your heritage is Judaism, right? Okay. So for a while, there was like these two groups of people. Let's just say there's these two groups of people, Jew, uh, Jews and Jewish believers. And up until about 70 AD, they lived in harmony. They didn't it was all Yahweh. There wasn't turmoil between the two groups is what I'm getting at. There was peace. And here's what it was. They had one enemy. Both of those two groups had one enemy. Can you guys tell me what that enemy was besides Satan? What did you say? Rome. They had a common enemy and it was Rome. Okay? So the, Ro the Romans, before Yeshua were persecuting and uh, enslaving um, Jews and they were wanting power. And I mean, you guys understand that, that, that culture then. That it wasn't, um, when we talk about like Sadducees, <laughs> the Sadducees were working for the Romans. So there's even a difference. When you, when you read the scriptures, don't lump Pharisees with Sadducees. They're two totally different groups of people. Uh, so you have to really understand some of these things when you're reading the word. But Sadducees were working for the Romans and basically calling out their Jewish family in order to get money from the Romans to be able to still work in the synagogue because they were getting uh, money to be able to be priests and there was power stuff and then they would basically trade out they would, you know, go, they were in cahoots with the Romans, but they were they were but they were Jews, so they were able to trade out in that way. Huh? Yeah, basically sell their, their friends and family out and they were able to, I mean, that's when you start getting into the tax collectors and what was happening because it was the Romans that were saying to go and collect the taxes and what they were doing was they were making them really, really poor and all of the priests were getting really, really high and the Roman uh, Empire was getting really, really high and they did not want the, uh, the religious system to have any power so they started to take 
over the religious system, and they started to basically tax all of the people that were living in Israel. That's why I'm saying Jews, because that's what was, that was who was there. They would tax all of them, and they would be uh, left with nothing, and the Roman Empire was growing and growing and growing during this time. So when he died, there were Jews, and there were Jewish believers with one enemy, and that was Rome. Okay, so I'm going to say this, and I don't know where everyone's history is, but who crucified Yeshua? What did you guys say? Say it louder. Romans. Okay, good. So we have to understand that uh, I had somebody actually ask me this. Well, yeah, but the Jews are the ones that sold him out. The Jews are the ones that could have taken him off the cross. You have to understand the threat from the Romans. If you were caught helping him or helping, helping him, you would be, your home would be taken, your family would be killed, and you would be enslaved. So when they called out for Barabbas, there was a small group of people that wanted Yeshua down, but they didn't dare. I mean, that's why Peter denied, because in public, it wasn't because, well, I'm a Jew, and I think I should be a Christian, and I don't know if I should get loud in my testimony. That didn't have anything. The religion wasn't a part of it. It was, the Romans are going to kill me if I say that this guy has any kind of authority because they want all the authority. It was not about Jew and Gentile at that point. It was about Roman and it was about, please save us from the, that's why all the disciples were like, please be the king, be the king and save us from this. And Yeshua was so good and said, it's better that I go because they didn't understand if I do it now, the story ends, and you're the only people that have access to me. But I am dying and doing all of this so that all of humanity has access to me. They didn't understand that because in that moment, they were like, please deliver us from the Romans who are killing us, beating us, taxing us, and doing this to us. So I need us to understand that at that time, there was one enemy, and it was the Roman Empire. Okay? And they and, and Jew and Jew believer did not really have an issue with one another. Okay? Is that making sense? And the reason why I say who killed them was because that's what I was getting at. They were fearful. So yes, he was betrayed, but the actual killing was Roman, which is Gentile, which is you. Okay? Because I mean, ultimately, spiritually, we killed him right? But actually, the crucifixion ex itself is not a Jewish thing. It's a Roman thing. They crucified with nails on a tree. In fact, it wasn't even a cross. It's an etza. It's a tree. It was a Roman way of killing. The Romans did that. It was their judicial system. It was their judgment. It was their crucifixion. They did it, okay? The reason why I say that is because in the Christian church, there's this fundamental underlying thing, and we're going to get into that, that basically says the Jews are who killed him. The Christ killers. Okay? You guys okay so far? Yeah. So Roman uh, persecution is happening, and I want to... This is where I'm not quite sure how to um, go through this timeline. But ultimately what happens is through this crucifixion, groups of believers start scattering. 
because this crucifixion, not crucifixion, but the persecution from the Roman Empire starts to get so strong that a scattering begins to happen. So they begin to move to Turkey and they, uh, Instantinople, and they begin to go, right? What is, what is the Gospels talk about? The seven, we'll just say the word for now, churches of Asia. It was, they started to scatter and build groups. It's actually not the word church, it's kalal, but, or kahal. Um, so they start scattering, and when they scatter, there is, uh, there is an aspect that, um, when they start to scatter, there is an aspect of the culture that they're in is all Roman Empire, Okay. So they're scattering, and there is the Roman Empire culture that's already residing there. And they're trying to figure all this out, trying to live like a Jew, but then also understanding the Messiah. So they're involved in all this. It starts to scatter. And um, around, let's just say around 100 AD. Around 100 AD, there begins to start a process of writers that start coming forth and they start to, I'm not sure, I'm not sure exactly how to, how to explain this, but around 100 AD, people start coming forward and they start to indoctrinate some things that are going on. And what they start writing about is, um, So the first thing that happens, the first thing that these writers start doing is they start vilifying the Jews. And it's hard for me to explain this without getting into some of the history, but ultimately what happened was, um, let me see if I can explain this. After the Messiah dies and rises again, there's a group of people that actually start thinking that this other guy was the Messiah. And so they start claiming that he's the Messiah, but the believers didn't wanna fight with them, but they're the same group of people. What I'm trying to get at is that they're trying to fight the Roman Empire, but then they start separating. They can't come together. Let's put it that way. They can't come together to fight their common enemy because there's just some scattering and some different ways of doing things and Jewish and Jewish believer. And then there's like a group of Jews that are starting to see a Messiah and it's not the real Messiah, but there's Jewish believers that already saw the Messiah and it's just kind of getting chaotic. So they can't come together and fight the Roman empire. Does that make sense? So around 100 AD, these writings start coming forward that the first thing that happens is they vilify the Jews. So ultimately, they are Jewish believers, but they start uh, teaching that the Jews are horrible people that have killed the Messiah. Now, we have history on our hands, but you have to understand this is 100 years. So it's 70 years after he's died. So there, there is no New Testament. There's, there's nothing to, there's nothing, they're just, they weren't even maybe alive during Messiah's life. So it's 70 years later, next generation comes in, and they're trying to figure out what happened. There's no New Testament. They have the Tanakh. And these crazy people are saying, but the Messiah came. And they're like, okay. And then they're trying to get the story. 
And the story starts coming out from certain writers that basically says this is what happened. The Jews have killed the Messiah. And so this whole group of Jewish believers start completely pendulum swinging away from uh, Judaism, and they start actually being indoctrinated that the Jews are horrible people. Does that make sense? So that's at 100 AD. So the first thing is, is Jews get vilified. The lie comes in, they're the ones that killed them, uh, and, and we're going to get into how deep it goes. Second thing that comes out is... Um, Basically, what it ends up happening is uh, around, let's just say 150 AD, a split happens. Remember when I said they were fine and they were together? A split begins to happen where it is a believer and Jews. And now they are separated. And that separation begins to happen and they start, what does Paul talk about? The wall of reconciliation. They start pointing at, at each other because they're not understanding this whole Jew-Gentile thing. And they start vilifying one another. They start pointing at each other. So instead of the Roman Empire being the common enemy, they begin to turn, two groups of people begin to turn towards one another, and they start saying how it's each other's fault. Is that, making, is that making sense? And then while they're turning to each other saying, you're the one that killed him. And they're like, but he didn't come for you. And you, you know, all this stuff. And they start doing this. Writings start coming forward that begin to teach on this stuff. So what ends up happening is the Jewish believers now turn into anti-Jew believers. So now you have Jews and this other group of people that are, if you are a believer, you are an anti-Jew. So around 150 AD, this is only 100 years after Yeshua has died. He didn't stand for, it. none of this has anything to do with Yeshua. And now there are two main religions, and the religions are Jewish and anti-Jew. And if you believe in the Messiah, you're anti-Jew, and if you don't believe in the Messiah, you're Jewish. Which is not the heritage, it's not the history, but that's what happens at around 150 AD. Is this making sense? So now you've got your two dividing. Now, I'm just going to say this now. You have two dividing directions, okay? Repeat of history, when we get there, all the way back to the tribes, the tribes go into two different directions. The northern and the southern tribes begin to separate, and you have Jew and Gentile. Now you've got two more. Happens right after crucifixion, and you've got Jew and you've got Gentile. This is why the entire, this is why we need to know our heritage because we've been taught, be the church, be the light of the world and get them saved. Get who saved? Because if all of this is about bringing the two houses together, we've missed a whole aspect of the gospel. So this is why we need to know our heritage because if, if, if he's saying bring the two houses together or if we're doing Shavuot, we're waving the two breads because the two are going to become one we need to know when we became not one. And we need to know what part we played or still play. Okay? So uh, believers become anti-Jew. Uh, uh, the second thing that happens around uh, 155 to 220 AD, the numbers don't matter. I'm just trying to show kind of the progression. Um, arrogance and separation of the Godhead begins to happen. When I say arrogance, I mean the teaching that uh, Christians or believers are the enlightened ones. This is when the replacement theology came in. They are so bad. We are here to replace them. 
So first it was just, we're anti-Jew. I want nothing to do with anything Jew. Then the Jewish Judaism, now it's not only do I want nothing to do with you, I am completely arrogant. I know what I'm doing. I'm the enlightened one and you don't even deserve to be here. Okay? Then it moves on to, uh, like I said, replacement theology. We don't even need them because we've replaced them. This is when some of the writings, when you begin to read them, it will just turn something because this is when they become dogs. This is when they become scum. This is when they become, they are worthless. They don't deserve to be on this earth. Their bloodline needs to leave. They are the problem. In fact, they're so much the problem that they, the only reason why they got Mount Sinai is because they were horrible people. They needed the law because they are such sinners. That's the only reason. But Yeshua came and I'm the enlightened one and the law's been done away with, saved by grace. Did you have a question? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing this up. There is the other side of it, but I'm bringing this up because this is our heritage. These are our church fathers. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is how Christianity started. What, I'm ultimate, what, I'm ultimate, what I am ultimately going to get at tonight is that I want us to understand that Christianity started with hatred. It had nothing to do with Yeshua. It had to do with conquering another nation. Now, I want you to fast forward. If you listen or, or read some of these writings, if I could be a little vulnerable or honest, remember when he was going like this and I went like this? I've gotten letters in my bail box with almost the exact same demonic, hateful writings. It's in our bloodline. Religion is in our bloodline. That's where you get 1,300, 4,300 Christian churches backstabbing one another, talking about I mean, it's all about arrogance. I'm better than you. It's judgment. You're the sinner. You need to be done away with. And I'm, that's, does that not sound like this isn't like, oh, that was our history. That sounds like right now. There's letters going around that literally one of the, uh, the next thing that happens is synagogues is a whorehouse. Do you guys know that kingdom heirs has been called that? Because adultery got exposed? We haven't really evolved very much. Because there's still pastors out there saying those kingdom heirs over there, they're in a whorehouse. Hey, I'm, I'm, I am in great uh, company. But this is why I need us to understand our heritage. Because this didn't just go away. This is Christianity at its finest. Go and get them saved and bring them into my place. And I'm going to instill some hatred. Okay. So after uh, synagogues become whorehouses, uh, Jews are the enemies. Uh, it would be better if they die that I may live. These are some of the writings. Um, the sixth thing that begins to happen is uh, they become not human. Meaning actual church fathers write about how they are not human. And Adolf Hitler uses these writings to justify Holocaust. Do you guys know that Holocaust are in the name of Jesus. We are here to get rid of any Christ killer that is on this earth. And apparently Jews are the Christ killers. So we are going to have 12 holocausts to get rid of their bloodline. And then you're going to go and get them saved and talk about Jesus? The same Jesus that we do in his name and kill him? Just to 
drive that point further, if you talk to a Holocaust survivor or somebody who's close to relatives who survived that or died through that, and you are evangelizing or, or preaching to them about Jesus, it will bring up all of that that their family went through because they, they suffered in the name of Jesus. So ultimately, I know we have to wind down, but ultimately at the end of all of this, the point is, is that the beginning of Christianity or anti-Jew believers, the beginning of that religion, it began to not be about Yeshua, but it was about good versus evil. It was not about the tree of life. It was about the tree of knowledge, right? It was, it was, about, it was about the tree of good and evil. It was about uh, good and it was, They spent most of their time proving that another group of people weren't worthy. So instead of building up our identity and knowing who he is, what does the whole gospel say? Look like me, act like me, talk like me, follow me, be me, love like me. And then all of a sudden, not even more than 150 years later, the entire religion is just based on making sure that another group of people understand that they are less than. Right? What does he say? Love me and keep my commandments. And we're over here like the, 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 the Torah has been done away with. Well, what commandments then? Love me and keep my commandments. And then you've got a group of people that are starting our religion. Not now, because the remnant is waking up. Let me, let me, take this, let me just take this back real quick. If you guys remember last year, remember when I did the cosmic clock? Do you guys remember that? And I said, we are transitionaries and we are walking out of the church era. This is part of it. If you want to fully walk out of the church era, then we're going to have to understand what the church era was doing. So it's not just this, oh, it, there's more on a Friday than, than it's way more than that. It is walking out of the church era, which was certain uh, the church fathers or uh, Christian fathers that we are walking out of man's tradition and into his tradition. So if we are transitionaries walking out of the church era, then we have to understand what the church era was doing. Does that make sense? So uh, it was, it, the whole beginning of Christianity started with get rid of them or convert them. Get rid of them or convert them. Does that sound familiar? Either follow my doctrine or get out of here. Okay? Um, now, what we're, what we're not going to get into tonight, but what I want to set up for the next time that we teach, is that all of this was underlying. So all of this is just writings are coming out. People are being taught. There's, it's around, now we're getting up to about 300 AD. Does that make sense? So we went from crucifixion and we just started the process of getting to about 300 AD. Well, something crazy happens. And the Romans who were kind of orchestrating all this and basically pinning each other because they were doing good because it's like if they're getting taxed and they're against each other, then we can overpower, right? Well, this crazy th thing happens and Constantine shows up on the scene. So 300 AD, he starts to step into position. He's the emperor of, of the Roman Empire, emperor, empire. And guess what? He gets saved. His mama's a Christian. So he's not a Roman. He converts to Christianity. 
okay? So for the most part, it's a good thing, but he's still a Roman. So you have the, you have the enemy that converts to this side. Did you see where I'm kind of going with that? So right now you've got Judaism and you have anti-Jews. And then you have Romans who are being Romans and they're the ones that did the crucifix, right? They're overpowering and he gets saved into this group of anti-Jews. And he becomes the leader. Now, he also is founded on the fact that he doesn't want to lose power to any religious structure. So basically what Constantine does around 325 AD is he begins to, this is the reason why I wanted to go over the background. Constantine is the first one to formalize everything I just said. So when I say that there are writings, you can look them up. Justin Martyr is one of them. There's many, there was a Clintus. So you had Paul, this is so powerful. You had Paul that went to Clintus, that went to Climus. I can't remember, I'd have to look it up. It's like the, Paul began to, it just began to kind of transform. And then all of a sudden, so these writings start to come out and then Constantine shows up on the scene. He gets saved and he starts utilizing these writings to be able to formalize a religion. Okay, this is when everything gets wonky because you have a Roman Empire turned, turned anti-Jew believer. Now remember, the Romans are Gentile and totally pagan. Do you see like the huge hodgepodge of mix of where we come from? Now this whole time you have Judaism root. They're, right? I mean, other than them not seeing the Messiah, they're... They're, right, make sense? Now you've got anti-Jew believer slash pagan Roman and Christianity is birthed. Now the Apostles' Creed that he's talking about, let's just go ahead and read it and we'll end with that. Does that sound good? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this to you because I want, I want you guys to get amped up. Uh, 318 bishops get together at the council, they call it the Council of Nicaea. There's a religion beginning to form, okay? So this Roman Empire goes, ooh, I am now a Christian, which means I am anti-Jew, okay? And I am going to get all the bishops together, and we are going to formalize this religion and write it down. Do you guys want to know the foundation of our religion? Now, up to this point, now this point, this is when the Catholic Church gets birthed, which is the beginning of Christianity. What he's talking about, which we're going to get into, is what happened about... 1,300 years later is Protestantism when we broke away from Catholicism and went a different direction, and we're going to get into that. But this is our foundation, you guys. You can't say, well, I'm not Catholic. This is our heritage. There was no non-denominational Christianity church. This was Judaism and anti-Jew believer and Roman Empire, and Constantine says, let's formalize it, hence birth the Catholic church. And still to this day, which we'll get into it, there is still artwork that shows what they think about the Jews. And, we are, and there are people worshiping underneath, underneath this artwork. Do you want to describe one of them? The artwork with the pig or no? Yeah, so um, what she's talking about, you can look it up. It's called, it's predominantly in Germany. There's about 30 of them in 
Germany right now and some other places in Europe. And it's called the Judensau, which means Jew pig. And they're all kind of the same uh, depiction of a female pig with a rabbi. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty bad. A rabbi with his hand up the pig's anus, grabbing the Talmud. And then Jewish children sucking from the pig's teat. And then it's like, a, you know, it's just, it's a mockery. I can't remember the saying. It was really hard to translate what, you know, some German saying that's above this. Um, but it's basically a mockery of Judaism and what they think of it. And there's still, there are still these uh, statues, you know, even currently, so... Well, the Holocaust, the Holocaust in, uh, at, in Nazi Germany and Hitler, their foundation was uh, Christianity. It was in the name of Jesus and Christianity to get rid of them. And you can hear their uh, um, testimonies where they say, I was following this, this person. And, and again, I'm, I don't want to get, I am getting into it, but I don't even want to get so much into the whole two houses and Judaism and all that. Can we just get one thing? Christianity started on hate. I, I guess that that's the biggest thing, that the heritage that I've been given has not been the fullness of the gospel, but that I am going to flourish when I push down someone else. And is that not religion? I feel better when I push down my brother. I am better when I expose my brother. I, the, the, my, mm. there's, there's, there's artwork of two things and it's the enlightened Christian with the dove and there's, there's Judaism with the, just a snake wrapped around them. And it's like, even in that, that's what we're founded on of just not Yeshua and what he came for, but just the, the division, right? We talk about a house divided, cannot stand and the division within the Christian church. If we want to step out of the church era and we truly want to be healed, then we need to understand in me, in me, in my heritage, there was division. We can't do this superficial, let's get rid of division while we're honoring a heritage of, that's founded on division, right? So I want to read. So when Constantine steps in and says, let's formalize all this teaching I just gave you guys, we're going to start to formalize it. We're going to write it down. I'm just going to read it to you. Because this is the creed that the Apostles' Creed comes from, okay? I renounce all customs, rites, legalisms, unleavened breads, and sacrifices of lambs of the Hebrews, and all other feasts of the Hebrews, sacrifices, prayers, aspirations, purifications, sanctifications, and propitiations, and fasts, and new moons, and Sabbaths, and superstitions, and hymns, and chants, and observances, and synagogues, and the food, and the drink of the Hebrews. I renounce absolutely everything Jewish, every law, right and custom. And if afterwards I shall be found to deny and return to Jewish superstition or shall be found eating with Jews or feasting with them or secretly conversing and condemning the, uh, the Christina religion instead of openly confuting them and condemning their vain faith, then let the trembling of the cane and the leprosy of Gazi cleave to me as well as the legal punishments to which I acknowledge myself liable. This creed is you saying... I'm vowing. Like this is, this is not him saying it. He's saying this is what you have to say if you want to be part of this religion. And may I be an, an anathema? Is that how you say that? In the world to come and may my soul be set down with Satan and the devils. Basically, I will get like, okay. 
I accept all custom. Now, this is what's crazy. I accept all customs, rites, legalism, and feasts of the Romans. Sacrifices, prayers, purifications with water, sanctifications by the Pontificus Maximus, which is the Pope, propitiations and feasts, the new Sabbath, soul day, Sunday, day of the sun, and new chants and observances in all the food and drinks of the Romans. I accept everything Roman, every new law, right, and custom of Rome, and the new Roman religion. Now, most of us would say, I didn't sign up for that. But 2,000 years down the road, and I start talking about Easter, and I got people being like, mm-mm. You did sign up for it because that was Roman. That was you saying you I accept everything Roman. You may not have intentionally signed up for it, but you're participating in something that you're not knowing you wouldn't. You wouldn't sign up for it, but you're unwittingly participating in it. Right? Is that not a perfect depiction of replacement theology? Displace everything that we came from and install... I renounce the Sabbath. So I wanted to go over just a couple of these uh, things. I know I'm running a little bit over, but I wanted to go over a couple of things that began to change because this is so powerful. You guys have to understand that Romans were Greek. So they had a Greek translation of the Tanakh. They didn't have the Hebrew Tanakh. They had the Greek. It's called the Septuagint. I always say gent, and then I can't say the A. Uh, So I just, I want to just show us a little bit of what might be personal, okay? Um, They changed the word Messiah to Christ. Messiah means anointed one. Christ means the God of all, the God of all gods. His name became a title. And it was an easy way for people to understand that the Christ was the top God of all the gods. But still, we don't have a bunch of gods. We have one God. He's the Messiah. It took out personal relationship and put in a title. It took out son and said Christ. They changed Yahweh to God. Yahweh is personal. God is a title. That would be like saying mom versus doctor. Right? It would, it, I'm mom versus, no, I'm doctor. That's the same, the Yahweh to God. So some of these things were beginning to change. Um, affection and personal, uh, being personal and affectionate became a weakness. This is all stuff that was Hebraic. Feasts and Sabbath were imposed for, uh, were, uh, were imposed for sin and being terrible. So, so, there, so again, when we're going over the feasts, our foundation is I renounce all things feasts. Which is why we never learn about it in the Christian church because that is part of our, our, our creed is that we renounce all of those things. Circumcision becomes a punishment. Uh, paganism comes in. Um, there was another one that I thought was really good. Anyways, does that make sense? Like all of these things began to start to change. This is where the word Yeshua gets taken out and Jesus comes in. Do you guys know why? And I've talked to you guys about this before. Jesus comes from Zeus. Romans believed in all the gods. So for people to understand the Christ, which is the God of gods, they called him Lezus. It's Latin. So it came from that culture that then we now call him Jesus. And so we're saying in the name of Jesus, which came from a Roman culture, they changed his name. And all of this in 325 AD began, began to be formalized into a creed that started the Catholic religion which is our heritage as far as Christianity is concerned. And we'll get into that of what Protestantism did. And this could seem far-fetched, 
but when we continue and we t and we break down the different sections of time, you'll see how you'll see the progression of how we went from there to where we're at now, today. Well, and a lot of times people are like, well, what does Roman influence mean? You have to remember, they were Greek philosophers. You got Aristotle in there. You've got different philosophies going on in there. That's where the paganism comes in. And so there's a lot of just kind of a hodgepodge of, of stuff that what we want to do as a family is begin to untwist for us to know our true heritage. Who is Yeshua? What was he? And what does that mean when we say, because he came, he did away with all that. And what are we saying when we say that he did that that he came to fulfill it? He didn't come to do away with it. And we have we have stood on that that none of that matters. I don't know how many times I've even heard it in this family as we've gone through this process. I'm not a Jew. I don't know, I don't understand why we're doing the feast. It has nothing to do with me. I, I I mean I've heard I've heard that even I've heard that recently of like, what does all this have to do with me? Because you've had your heritage robbed from. You're saying that I'm coming in and changing it. No, you've been robbed from because you follow a religion that said, I renounce all things Jewish, even though Yeshua, how can you renounce something that is him? Uh, Anti-Jew, your savior is a Jew. And he didn't come to do away with himself. He is your heritage. And he says to honor these things. And he did himself. And we don't even know what he honored. We don't know the feast of dedication is Hanukkah. We don't know what Shavuot is. He, we don't understand those things because we're not taught those things because we were told to do away with his life. Fast forward to the Apostles' Creed. Death and resurrection, right? I want redemption, but don't study his life. <laughs> okay. Okay. You guys okay? All right. So we only got to about 300 AD. Moving forward, we're going to get into Constantine and what happened there and what he formalized. After that, we're going to fast forward to Martin Luther. And that is going to be a little difficult because most of us have thought, yes, Catholics were a little off, but Martin Luther... And some things happened there, and we're going to untwist that, and we're going to get us to today. And once that happens, hopefully we can go way back to Avraham and really find out our tribes and all of that heritage. So we're going to be here for a while. You guys okay with that? Okay. All right. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.